I bring you greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. We are in a, a, a war. Yes. It's a spiritual war, and we've all been enlisted. This is a war that's going to, it's a war designed from the enemy's side to overcome us and to kill us and destroy us. And from God's side, it's a war to show that we have faith and to overcome by faith. In uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul uses the uh, idea of uh, athletics to to uh, run a race with patience and endurance, trying to get the reward, getting the crown, and uh, fighting. Uh, He uses the imagery of wrestling. He says in verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. We are in this war, and this war is... uh, very, very real. Mm-hmm. And people underestimate the severity of, of this. Yeah. The point is to uh, follow Christ completely and don't let anything stop you. Yeah. And our, our body is part of this war against us. Our body is hostile to us. Now my text today is in First uh, Peter 2 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from, from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, Peter's writing this to people who believe. He's not writing this to unbelievers. The, the epistles were written to people who had faith. He describes them in the previous section how they've been chosen by God to be holy and righteous, a, a kingdom of priests, kings and priests. And we we put our faith in Christ. He's a cornerstone of our life. He's the one we're following. And uh, the Israelites were the people of God. Well, they still are, although they've rejected him. And I believe at some point God is going to, uh, they're going to have their, the blinders taken off their eyes and they will be able to see and believe. But think about us. Our lineage is not from the Jews. We were not a people, but we are now, have been made the people of God. Before we didn't have mercy. Now we do have mercy through Jesus Christ. And because of that, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims. Now you think of uh, the strangers and pilgrims like Abraham who wandered around all through the land of Canaan. He just lived in a tent everywhere he went. He never owned a piece of property except for where to bury his wife when she died. And all the, uh, all the patriarchs, Abraham and his son Isaac and his uh, grandsons, well, Jacob, Esau was a fleshly man, but they were pilgrims and strangers. We ourselves are pilgrims and strangers. Amen. And like Abraham was wandering around in the land of Canaan, 
actually more like when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness. But we ourselves are pilgrims and strangers. Now this world that we're in, this is where our pilgrimage takes place. Pilgrimage implies that we're headed someplace. Well, we are. We're following our captain, Lord Jesus Christ, and we're following him. But this is a hostile environment. This hostile environment is like a desert wasteland that can't sustain life. There's nothing around us that can provide life. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to feed us. This is a completely alien Land, no, there's no resources to sustain us. And because of that, we're dependent completely every day, every moment on God's sustaining life, God's resources. Like the, like the Israelites, we are dependent on every day going out and collecting the manna, God's provision for our soul, the bread of life. We're dependent on God's living water. So there's, we are on this pilgrimage Completely dependent on God. And this is a journey. We have an expected end. We're on our way to, to be with the Lord in heaven. Now you remember what happened to the Israelites when they were in the, wandering around in the wilderness. Go to, uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 and 18. As the uh, Israelites were wandering around the wilderness, there was another country called Amalek. The Amalekites, they attacked them. It describes that uh, Moses is bringing this to remembrance of the Israelites. Remember what Amalek did unto the by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. That's recorded in Exodus 17 when the attack happened, and I think this attack happened continually while they were, but in Exodus 17, it says in verse 8, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now there was a, a great battle at that point when uh, Moses raised up his hands. And they, they, as long as Moses' hands were up, they were able to defeat the Amalekites. And he got tired and heavy and Aaron was on one side and her on the other side. And they helped raise his hands up. Now, I'll tell you, our, our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is never going to be weary. He's never going to get tired. His strength doesn't go away. But you may know people who are like a, a father in the faith, or someone who has been uh, faithful in ministering to you the gospel. They might get tired. And when you see that happen, and you rush to their side and you help hold their hands up. But this is what happened. The Amalekites came and attacked them. And they were without pity. They were merciless. It says that they attacked them. The hindmost, they snuck up behind. When they were tired, they were, they were feeble, they were faint and weary. When you're 
marching, you have the soldiers at the front. They're prepared for the attack. Well, you would have the people who are weak, the elderly people, maybe some people who got sick along the way, you got the women and children behind. You don't want the babies out in front where they're going to get in the attack. Amalek came and attacked them from behind. They attacked the weak part. It says in First Samuel 15, now this is what Saul was told. Saul was raised up to wipe out Amalek. And he didn't. And as a result of that, that caused a problem later. But in 1 Samuel 15, 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Amalek. And Saul was told to go smite them utterly. Well, that's another story for another time. But that God remembered that. And I see in the uh, story of the Amalekites attacking Israel, that is the way the fleshly lusts war against the soul. Mm-hmm. Now, the uh, if you're a believer in Christ, you know that the Scriptures make it plain that we're soldiers yeah. in this army. Amen. Now, it's not a physical battle. We don't use physical weapons like an army. We use spiritual weapons. This is a spiritual battle. I want to make that very clear. But this is a, a battle. Paul wrote this m- multiple times. He wrote to Timothy. He called him his son. First Timothy 1.18, he says... He tells him to war a good warfare. In the second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, telling him to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now you think about the, if you're a soldier, go through, uh, in the, in the flesh, you go through basic training and you get prepared, you get, you get taught how to, handle a weapon, how to defend yourself, and all these things to look out for. Well, there isn't really an organized thing here, but we're in basic training and in the fight at the same time. Yes. Learning how to handle the Word of God rightly, how to look out for the enemy, how to watch out for pitfalls and traps, and enduring hardness, this hardness would include the hatred of men against you. Persecution and tribulation. It would include enduring... Uh, it says in Mark thirteen thirteen, you shall be hated of all men for my sake. Are you willing to take up that cause as in, your, in, your, in this battle against... It talks about the persecution and tribulation... Enduring afflictions, enduring chastening from God, these are things that we endure as soldiers. You endure grief, endure suffering wrongly. People accuse you of things that you didn't do, and you get persecuted for it. And you endure that, and you suffer for it, because you're a soldier of God, and you're enduring hardship. But think of the hardship of putting away lust. Now that is hard work. Wouldn't it be so easy just to give in and let lust control you? Whatever kind of 
desires, fleshly desires you have, isn't it just easier just to, well, that's not going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt me. I'm just going to give in a little bit. That <laughs> is a wrong attitude. Right. That is hard. Mm-hmm. Every time there, your flesh rises up, mm-hmm. every time you, uh, you're tempted to give in to whatever, whatever fleshly desire it is, that's hard. That's the hardness I believe we're talking about here. You're going to face the unbelief of other people. You're going to face other people having hard hearts. I pray that I don't have a hard heart. He took that stony heart out of me and gave me a new heart. It was soft and pliable and able to listen to God and obey. But there are a lot of people who don't have a new heart, and their heart is hard. And you will suffer because of that. Next verse, 2 Timothy 2.4. Paul is writing to Timothy again. He says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You're a soldier. You're enduring hardness for the sake of the gospel. Don't get entangled. Now, this is like you're walking through some place uh, and you get so many thorns and briars uh, that you just you get stuck. Or well, we put in battle terms. You're walking through and you get stuck in barbed wire. This entanglement will happen when you when you let up. And these, this world becomes more important to you than following Christ. And you will get trapped in there. And the end the result of being entangled is it's unspeakable. Later in Second Peter chapter two, verse 20, Paul says, uh, Peter says, "If after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus." The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them Amen. than the beginning. And it talks about them returning like a dog returning to his vomit. A hog returning to his wallow. You get washed and clean and then you go back to it and you're it's worse off. Remember, yes. there was a uh, parable that Jesus taught which explains... Some truth. There was a house that was swept clean and the spirit was cast out. But nothing was done to, ref- to fill that house. And the spirit came back and found, oh, yeah, the house is open and inviting and he brought seven friends with him. And it was much worse at the end than at the beginning because that's what happens when these fleshly lusts entangle you and overcome you. Now, remember, like Amalek, Amalek laid in wait for them. They were like ambushing them. And uh, sin is described as trapping you like a pitfall, a snare. You're walking along the path and all of a sudden you're dangling from the top of a tree with your foot in a noose. You didn't see it because you weren't on the lookout for it. That's what lust is like. It'll just overtake you in a second. And you'll be lifted up. It'll, it'll, it'll take you out. Amalek attacked the feeble and the weak. Now think about it. When is it that you're most susceptible to lust? When you are tired. 
when you are weak, you feel like you've, you've given all you can and you can't give any more and lust is going to take you right then. Just like Amalek didn't show any mercy. That's what lust does. Amalek attacked from behind. Israelites were prepared for attack from the front. That's where all the soldiers were. No, but Amalek came and attacked them from behind. That's what the, that's what the lust of the flesh will do to you. The Amalek didn't show any mercy. They didn't say, well, there's babies here. There's, there's women. There's people who are injured and sick. They didn't care. They attacked anyway. That's what lust will do. When you are tired and exhausted, when you are weak, then you're susceptible. And if you're going in your own strength, you're weak. No matter how strong you are in the flesh, that's weakness. And you're, you're out there following Christ, you're in this hostile environment, depending on Him, you're a soldier, and you're prepared for everything that happens. You're on the lookout. Yes. But lust won't attack from the front. It'll attack when you're not prepared, when you're, when you're not awake. My encouragement is to you to be strong in the Lord, because that's your own weak, your own strength is just weakness. You have to depend on God's strength to sustain you in this. And we resist Satan and stand firm. But there's times when you have to flee from lust. Now remember, there's a young man named Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. And he uh, was bought by a man who was a captain of the guard. He was a very high-ranking government official in, in Egypt. And uh, his wife tried to seduce Joseph over and over and over again. And eventually, he fled. Well, he left his coat behind, but he got out of there because he saw this was he was not going to be able to stop this. And he fled. There's a time when you have to flee. Amen. Now, we have this battle that we're in. And it's not a pitched battle. This is like guerrilla warfare. This ambush will come out of nowhere. And you can spot the enemy. You can spot things that might be a problem to you. But you've got an enemy, right? Your flesh is your enemy. Mm-hmm. By nature, our flesh is corrupt. Yes. Now, we've been redeemed. Now, we are not corrupt. Our spirit has been changed. We've got a new spirit. We've got a new heart. We still have to deal with this flesh every day. It's part of us. You can't escape it. But it is hostile to you. It is still corrupt. You got fleshly desires that are of this world. They're not from God. Now the Holy Spirit gives you new desires in your mind and your spirit. But these, this is like a, having an enemy agent. You, you, if you're a, in the military, you set up a perimeter, you have a fence around there, you have guards, you're watching everything that comes in and out. What if you got a spy in the middle of the camp? That's your flesh is like that. Now, I had this thought. Satan 
knows your weakness. And he's going to find that time when you are weak, and he's going to hit that weak spot. He won't have any compassion on you. But the truth is, more importantly, Jesus knows your weakness. And he's there to help you. When you face these temptations, you're not alone. Jesus went through temptation, and he is able to have compassion on you in your in your weakness. And he, if you turn to him, he will strengthen you. But if you turn, if you don't come to him, you won't have the strength, and you'll fall every time. Now, in uh, Mark verse four, Mark chapter four, verse nineteen. It describes what these lusts do. It says, there's the parable of the, the four soils. The sower went out sowing the word. There was uh, some, before, the, before they had a chance to consider it, Satan took it out of their heart. Some was sown into stony ground, it rose up quickly, mm-hmm. but then it died. Now we're talking about the third soil here, verse 19. These are those which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things enter in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. These lusts are not harmless. It will cause you to not produce fruit. That's a serious matter. Amen. Not only that, when these lusts will lead you to uh, devalue and not depend on the mercy of God and not recognize it, it will lead you to discontentment mm-hmm. and dissatisfaction, crum- grumbling, complaining. And we have multiple examples of what happened to the Israelites over and over again, the uh, God provided manna for them every day, and they complained. We have nothing to eat but this manna. But they, they complained, and it just, it just pleased the Lord. And there are multiple times when God sent a plague among them because of their grumbling and complaining. Now, contentment is a great way to abstain from lust because if you are content with what you have, it puts a stop to desires and lust for other things. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, our body is our enemy. And your, in- your, your body will try to control you. Mm-hmm. Your body wants you to cater to it. It has a desire it wants this. Well, your body wants you to do it. We're supposed to keep under our bodies. We're supposed to put our body in subjection to us, make it obey us. Mm-hmm. But our body wants to overcome us. Our, that's yeah. our flesh and these lusts of the flesh, they're not harmless. In the First Corinthians 10.5 and 6, speaking of the Israelites in the wilderness, with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things are our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That's our example. 
the scripture is full of these things. Now, these lusts are from the world. They are deceitful. It describes them as Ephesians 4.22. You put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, when you have a lust, a sinful desire, it's not going to announce itself with blowing a trumpet and a sign saying, watch watch out for the lust. It's going to be tricky and subtle like Satan. And these... uh, just like Satan is very subtle, the lusts are subtle. They will sneak in when you're not expecting it. We have our bodies that we're supposed to possess in righteousness and holiness. We can make our body do righteousness. Our body wants to do other things, but you can be a master over your body and your mind. Your mind has evil thoughts. When those happen, you don't have to think about those. In fact, if you continue to think about it, it would be a sin. Mm-hmm. When the, you, you have a, a thought that comes in there that's evil. Well, you put that evil thought away. You don't persist in that. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's how deceitful lust it will make you think, this is, this is harmless. Mm-hmm. It is not harmless. You will be overcome and, and defeated. And we're to possess our vessel, this body I live in, that's my vessel. To possess it in sanctification and honor. That's right. It says in First Thessalonians 4, 5, not in the lust of concupiscence. Mm-hmm. That's when your, your lust, your passions are being stirred up all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, everything about this world is designed to stir up your passions. Right. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever you, your flesh might want, anything you want, is available to you. I mean, everything is designed in this world to stir that up, to get you thinking about evil things, to have you desire more. You, you can't... Uh, there's very, very little that you can see in entertainment or the uh, on television or even on radio. It is designed to cause you to be stirred up in your passions. It is higher and higher level of enticement until it boils over. Well, we're to possess our vessel in holiness. God has... That's our calling to keep our body under. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 or 10, it talks about people falling into a temptation and a snare and falling into many foolish and hurtful lusts. And here's the result of those foolish and hurtful lusts. These lusts are not there to build you up and make you stronger. They're to hurt you. And here's the result. They drown men in destruction and perdition. The end result of giving in to your, whatever your body wants, destruction Amen. and perdition. And it talks about uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred. Erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The end result of, sor- of lust is 
you'll have a regret. It might, at some point, you're going to die. And whatever state you're in at that time, you're stuck with that state. If you're righteous when you die, you're going to remain righteous. That's right. If you're wicked when you die, you're going to remain wicked. That's right. And there's no chance for repentance after you're dead. Amen. But you'll, you'll pierce yourself through with many sorrows. You end up finding out the things I did, wow, I regret having done that. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a godly repentance, it'll turn you to actually turn away from those lusts. It'll cause you to follow Christ more closely. Mm-hmm. But if it's just a worldly repentance, you'll think, well, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I did that. I won't do it again. And then, you, well, you turn back to it over and over and over again. True repentance is when you turn away from it and you're following God and you put these lusts away. Then you won't have a life of regret. Now these lusts are designed to overtake you and kill you. They'll uh, cause you to turn away from the faith. And uh, so my encouragement to you is to uh, don't let these fleshly desires overtake you. Amen. You're, you're looking on the front to see where the, where the attack will come from. Mm-hmm. But there will be attacks that come when you're not even prepared and uh, in a moment when you're weak. Mm-hmm. When you're tired and you're exhausted. Well, in your own strength, you will be tired and exhausted. It'll happen every day. And praise God. If you turn to Him, He will give you new strength. Amen. His mercies are new. His strength is renewed. He gives more grace. That is our help in the battle. So my brethren, I encourage you to uh, abstain yes. from f- fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Amen. The only way you're going to defeat these is... And overcome is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. using the armor that He gave you, mm-hmm. and uh, standing firm in the Lord and in His strength. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much.